All right, well, good morning, y'all. If you have your Bibles, open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And we're picking up where we left off, sort of. Well, actually, it's not all that different. Because last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I said last Sunday, we make a big deal about the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. So once again, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the work that he has done on our behalf, giving us hope and peace and forgiveness and our eternity secured for those who call on his name. So we're just going to make a big deal about that every Sunday. So get used to it. But where we're picking back up is where we left off in the Gospel of Mark. And there's been a couple of different episodes that lead up to this third one. They kind of happen right, bang, 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 all in a row with each other, where we see Jesus' authority is on display. And it's important for us that Jesus has authority. We need to know that the Savior that we're worshiping is capable of controlling all things. Because if there are things that are outside of Jesus' ability to control, then we have a very weak Savior. But the picture that we get of Jesus, particularly here in the Gospel of Mark and in the sequence of episodes that happen at the end of chapter 4 and all the way through chapter 5, reminds us again and again that Jesus has authority. We start out this way, that Jesus has authority over nature. At the end of Mark chapter 4, it was that Jesus and the disciples, they're in the boat. Storm pops up out of nowhere. The disciples freak out, and Jesus merely says, hush to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. The week before Easter, we discover that Jesus has authority over demons. As they go across to the other side of the lake, and they encounter this demon-possessed man, and when Jesus asks, what is your name? We are legion, for we are many. And Jesus was able to cast those demons out into a herd of pigs. Pigs go flying. Jesus has authority over demons. This morning we come to the third of this sequence of three episodes that demonstrates that Jesus has authority over disease and death. Now, this passage, I want you to listen really well because this passage has two distinct healings, and there's three expressions of faith, but I want you to be careful. Do we believe that Jesus can heal anything and anyone at any time? Yes. Is that normative? No. And so I want us to be really careful that though we see people being killed as an expression of their faith, Not every expression of faith is going to lead to healing. And we need to be a little bit more comfortable with the discomfort that that brings. But I'm asking us to be careful because there are lunatics that are also heretics that would have you believe something different. I'm not going to name names for two reasons. One, I want to be nice. And two, um, I would spend the next 30 minutes listing off names and that's just not a very interesting sermon. Well, maybe this one isn't interesting, but that one definitely won't be interesting. Who would have you believe that if you donate just $20 a month, I'll send you this blessed handkerchief. Don't listen to them. 
There are people that stand in pulpits across this country, across the globe, every Sunday who would tell you that the reason why you're not experiencing financial security or physical healing is because your faith isn't strong enough. It's not big enough. Please be careful with this passage. Does Jesus heal? Yes, absolutely. Can we compel him to heal based on the faith that we generate? No. What we anticipate is that if we don't experience healing here in this life, we know with certainty that we will experience healing in eternity. When our time on earth is done, all of our pain will go away. All of our tears will be dried up. There will be no more aches, no more pains, no more blackberry bushes, no nothing getting in the way ever again. It may be God's design that for this season that we live on this planet, it may be God's design that we live with whatever unhealed thing we may be living with. I'm not minimizing anybody's pain or discomfort when I say that. I recognize that if you're experiencing that, your pain, your hurt, your aches, and your longings are very real. Which again cause us to long all the more for eternity. So again, please be careful with this passage. Because while Jesus did do healings, that was not his primary objective when he took on human flesh and walked this earth. We'll go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. That was Jesus' primary mission. It's to convince people to believe the gospel. Second, really close up next to it, so close it happens in verse 17 of chapter 1. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. The healings that Jesus does throughout the gospels merely support the bigger message of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. We're going to see two Three different examples of faith. But I would just want to point out to you again that the power of faith is not because of faith itself, but because of the one who is the object of our faith. It is because of Jesus, and you're going to see this in the passage that we're going to dive into starting now in chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him, and thronged about him. So here's where we're going to press pause, just so we have a little bit of context to understand who is doing what here in this passage and why it's even crazy that we have a record of it. 
So we're told that this man named Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. And to clarify, the ruler of the synagogue is not the same as a rabbi. So it's like the next level down from being a rabbi. But even in that role as a ruler of the synagogue, he would have had responsibility providing oversight and some level of teaching in the synagogue would have controlled the flow of services. But he was not like the rabbi, not the teacher. He still submitted himself to the rabbi, yet he still had a degree of influence and responsibility and stewardship. What makes this interesting is the fact that most rulers of the synagogue were Pharisees. Pharisees. Remember the the guys that are already plotting and scheming how they can kill Jesus? We're not told with certainty that Jairus is, in fact, a Pharisee. But since most rulers of the synagogue were Pharisees, it's reasonable to think there's a better than good chance that Jairus was a Pharisee. There is a message in this for us. When you have an urgent need, turn to Jesus. Jairus is in this spot where his daughter is on the verge of death. And the way the language communicates it to us is not just that she's in critical condition. It's more that her hospice care is mere minutes away from ending. And Jairus is desperate and he turns to Jesus. It's interesting to me that Jesus, knowing the minds and the hearts of the Pharisees, knowing that they want him killed, says, okay. Let's go. Mark decides to let us in on a little secret, though. That on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus wasn't really in a rush. And Mark leaves Jairus' story to introduce us to somebody new. Starting in verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians... And had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This woman, everything about her, everything about her circumstances and her situation in life was desperate. What is she dealing with? She has a severe medical condition. The physicians of her day were unable. We don't get the sense that they were unwilling, just they were unable to do anything about her condition. And because of that, the text records for us, Mark records for us, that she spent literally everything that she had. So now here she is, she's destitute. The condition that she has is a a type of prolonged menstruation. And in first century Palestine, there would have been no cure. Modern day, it's relatively common, comparatively speaking, what up to 5 to 10% of women experience prolonged menstruation. And on the most severe cases of it, the the correction is a hysterectomy. There's no doctor in the first century that's able to do that. And so she is living with this condition for 12 years. But it gets worse for her. As if it could get worse, it does. 
Because as a result of her condition, she is declared to be ceremonially unclean. And that begins a cascading set of consequences for her. Because she's unclean, she's not allowed to go even into the section of the temple that's reserved for women. Why? Because she was unclean. She's not allowed to go anywhere in public without making people aware that she is unclean. And then on top of that, anything or anyone that she touches, because she's declared ceremonially unclean, if she touches anything or anyone, the thing or person that she touches is then declared to be ceremonially unclean. Which makes what she does here so outrageously risky. According to the ceremonial law, she never should have been out in public in the first place. And she certainly should not have kept her condition quiet. And she dared not reach out and touch anyone or anything. Here's where we pick up the story in verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch... Even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Before we get to verse 34... Can we just hang out there just for a moment? I love that last phrase. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Some of us that are listening to this right now would be served really well if we got down on our faces in front of our Savior And told him the whole truth. It's not like he doesn't know. You have yet to keep a single secret from the Savior. It might do you really well to actually verbalize it. And yes, I said verbalize. Not just think your thoughts in your head. But you talk with your mouth. And you tell the Savior the whole truth. About who you are about what people believe to be true about you, about the nature of your circumstances, what you've done to try to do something about it and it's failed. Tell him the whole truth. Here's what happens when you tell Jesus the whole truth. Well, I'll let Jesus say it. He said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace 
and be healed of your disease. She told to Jesus everything, everything that she had done. I'm ceremonially unclean. I'm not supposed to be out in public. I didn't tell anybody, and I touched your garments. Jesus does not rebuke her. He doesn't get mad at her. He doesn't say, you know what you should have done. Here's what you should have done. No, daughter. He gives her an affectionate term. To say, your faith has made you well. Now, was it really her faith that made her well? No. Was it really Jesus' garments that made her well? No. So don't buy the handkerchief that's been blessed. It is Jesus that made her well. When you're desperate, turn to Jesus. The difficulty for us in our super sophisticated, civilized society is we don't understand our own desperation. And we go mind blind to our own desperation, which is why we have a difficult time telling Jesus the full truth because we're not really aware of it of ourselves. Or maybe we are, but we're just trying to pretend that it's not there. Acknowledge how desperate you are. And turn to Jesus. Mark then brings us back to Jairus. And the news is not good. While he was still speaking. There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now it's not in the text, but I have to imagine there was a smirk and a glimmer in Jesus' eye when he said that. As if to say, watch what I'm about to do. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion People weeping and wailing loudly. If you're familiar with this passage, then you, you know that part of the rules were you had to have mourners. There was a requirement in some places where you had to have at least two flute players available when somebody died. And you could hire out professional mourners. And so when there is this loud commotion and people wailing, it's because people were getting paid to do just that. As a ruler of the synagogue, he likely had more than the required two. There was probably the equivalent of a full orchestra available to him. And the commotion is loud. And it is almost on the edge of out of control. Verse 39, when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, 
arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I've had a challenge with this passage this week. Because I have a 12-year-old daughter. So I understand the position of dad here. I would do anything to preserve and protect my daughter's life. I should probably include the rest of my kids in that too. Uh, It's not just a 12-year-old. I get this dad. He's feeling the urgency of his need. And if it's true that he is a Pharisee, and perhaps maybe he was at least aware of the conversations of trying to eliminate Jesus, you have to admire what this guy is doing. He's going against where his brain is saying, you're not supposed to like this guy. He's saying, you're the only one that can do anything about this. And I love Jesus' response to him. He doesn't say to Jairus, you know, you're one of the guys that's trying to plot against me and you've pretty much been opposed to me. Why in the world should I do anything for you? He just simply goes. And he heals this girl. And what does he do? He does what he did with the waves. He merely spoke. And everything is better. And Jesus making us aware that he knows that we, of course, have spiritual needs, but we also have physical needs because he says she needs breakfast. I love that. Jesus was thinking about, could somebody get her some food? The faith of this man is astounding. And the faith of the woman is astounding. And we should be dazzled by these miraculous healings. But don't miss the bigger point of what's happening here. Jesus does something radical twice. He took on uncleanness. The moment that he reaches out and touches this little girl, he according to the law, should have been made unclean. And the garment that he's wearing, the moment it gets touched by the woman with the issue of blood, he should have become immediately unclean. But Jesus took on uncleanness and he made it pure. The purpose of this passage, yes, is to describe the miraculous capabilities of who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of. But the bigger point is for us to see that it is Jesus who takes on our uncleanness, does not become stained in the process, and makes us pure. This is a picture of the work of the gospel of Jesus working in us 
to do something that we are incapable of doing on our own. We are made unclean by our sin. Jesus takes it on himself, does not become unclean, and instead makes us pure. So what is the requirement? How does that happen? What did we see twice in this passage? What's the requirement? Please say it like you mean it. Faith. A faith that is urgent and cries out like Jairus. That says, my daughter's going to die. You have to do something and you cry out to him. A faith that is desperate and reaches out. This woman took on huge risks. If anybody had discovered who she was and what she was dealing with and why she was out there and the fact that she actually did touch him, the consequences would have been severe for her. The risk that she took because she was desperate for help and she reached out to the one, the only one who could do anything about it. Now some of you are saying, Carl, you said there were three expressions of faith. Yes, you missed the first one. It's a faith that gets back in the boat. What in the world are you talking about? A couple of weeks ago, we dealt with Jesus stilling the storm. Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. Storm shows up. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You with me? They're traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark 5, 21, we just read it a few minutes ago. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, now, we're not told in that verse, but the story clearly dictates to us that the disciples were in the boat. They got back in the boat. These disciples who were freaked out, who is this that can control the wind and the waves? Who is this that causes demons to come out and a herd of pigs go flying off a cliff? They got back in the boat and went to the other side. And in my sanctified imagination, I'm convinced that Jesus led the boat to the same exact spot where the storm had popped up, just to remind them. Hey, guys, remember this? But the disciples got back in the boat. They had every reason after they get to the shore. Like, okay, you know what? I'm done. I don't know what this is. This is crazy. I'm done. Let's go camping. We'll hang out with pigs, too. This is it. But they got back into the boat. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would recognize your need is urgent and it's desperate and you'd reach out to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, it's possible there's been these moments where you thought, you know what, I just need to get off the boat for a bit. Ah, Things are just not looking the way I thought they were going to. Get back in the boat. Get back in the boat with Jesus. That's your safest, bestest place. I know bestest isn't a word, hush. But that's your safest, bestest place to be, is back in the boat with Jesus. He got you through that storm. What makes you think he's not going to get you through the next one? 
Has Jesus suddenly decided, you know what, I'm just going to make arbitrary decisions about which storms are going to let you get through. No, he walks with you, carries you through every single one. Get back in the boat with Jesus. Some of us have the most boring spiritual lives because we've decided, I'm not going to trust Jesus with this any longer. I've tried this, and it hasn't gone the way that I thought. It hasn't gone according to my timeline. Clearly, Jesus has failed. I'm better off just doing things on my own. Ask yourself the real question. How is that working out for you? Maybe you need to be a hybrid of both the woman and the disciples. The woman who told Jesus the whole truth. Tell Jesus where you've been. Tell Jesus where your thoughts, your ideas have drifted. Tell Jesus where your faith has wavered and why. Tell Jesus your complaints, your hurts, your disappointments. Tell him the truth and then get back in the boat. Yes, it could very well be a bumpy ride, but you're with Jesus, in the end, that's where you need to be. So if you're not yet a follower of Christ, your need is urgent and it's desperate. Cry out to him, reach out to him, knowing that he will take on your uncleanness. He will cleanse you of your sin and make you pure. And if you're a follower of Jesus, get back in the boat and ride with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness to us through giving us a savior this savior who has authority over nature demons disease and death a savior in whose arms we are perfectly and completely secure at all times father I pray for those who have not yet trusted your son as savior that you would help them to see how desperate and urgent their spiritual condition is and that apart from trusting your son, they will spend eternity separated from you in hell. But if they would simply trust and believe, their sins will be forgiven, their place in eternity secured, and they'll have access to unlimited grace and mercy for the rest of their human existence. Father, for those who do know you and have been struggling, I've been tempted to walk away, and perhaps just coming here is just something on a checklist. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to get back into the boat. Yes, sometimes it is freaky, and most of the times it's completely uncertain. But Father, I pray that you would give them a supernatural courage to get back and to be as close to you and allow you to lead them and to guide them, knowing that they are totally and completely secure in your presence. We're grateful to you for the work that you have accomplished through your Son on our behalf. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.